The United States is facing renewed threats from Russia, China, and Iran, sometimes known as the axis of evil, or the axis of creepy yuckatoot, or the axis that is trying to chop down the cherry tree of America, or all I axes don't be like Russia, China, and Iran. It's possible I made that last one up. With Russia threatening to invade Ukraine, China threatening to invade Taiwan, and Iran threatening to rejoin Barack Obama's nuclear deal so it can then kill everyone who doesn't have five names, all of which are Mohammed, President and venal houseplant Joe Biden has turned his incisive mind to the problem of how to unlock the Oval Office bathroom so he can get out and find his incisive mind, which he seems to remember having put in a glass on his bedside table, although maybe that was his teeth. White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki says the crisis situations in so many sites simultaneously is probably due to COVID, just like the soaring crime rates, spiraling inflation, and massive government spending. Ms. Psaki said, quote, Obviously, these international crises are arising due to the pandemic, and also the fact that President Biden's deadly, hysterical, and incompetent surrender to the Taliban in Afghanistan telegraphed to the world's tyrants that he was a weak Pasemi vegetable, waiting for stronger leaders to roast him, butter him, and then devour him, and the American dream along with him. But mostly it was the pandemic, unquote. In a Zoom meeting with Russian leader and international gangster Vladimir Putin, President Houseplant was conciliatory and said, quote, I really like that shoe you're pounding on the table while you threaten to bury us. Is it one of those Buster Browns? I can still remember their delightful commercial jingle, unquote. The president then launched into a cheerful rendition of, does your shoe have a boy inside? What a funny place for a boy to hide. Does your shoe have a dog there too? A boy and a dog and a foot in a shoe. President Putin responded, speaking in either Russian or Klingon, and saying that he admired the venal American president's shoes as well, and they reminded him of when he was... <laughs> was in the KGB and used to hang prisoners naked from the ceiling and then spray them with a fire hose and steal their clothing after they were dead. President and gangster Putin told Biden, quote, my good friend, how nice it is to see you. How much I look forward to placing your head between my mighty thighs, which I have strengthened by horseback riding and having sex with many women who afterward disappeared and squeezing your ears together until what's left of your brain explodes to the top of your skull, unquote. Houseplant Biden answered immediately saying, quote, the boy is Buster Brown, and the dog is Tig, his friend, and it's really just a picture, but it's fun to play pretend, unquote. He then sternly warned Putin that if Russia took over the world, the U.S. would stage a vigorous response by closing down our entire energy sector in order to modify climate change by zero degrees while allowing Russia to control the flow of petroleum into Europe, growing rich and powerful in the process. It was right after this that the venal president locked himself in the bathroom, which spokeswoman Pasaki said was due to COVID or personality. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Does your shoe have a boy inside? What a funny place for a boy to hide. Does your shoe have a dog there too? A boy and a dog and a foot in a shoe. Well, the boy is Buster Brown. And the dog is Tig, his friend. And they're really just a picture. But it's fun to play pretend.
Ah, uh, yes, come with me now to the <laughs> stirring days of yesteryear. All right, we are back laughing our way through the fall of the Republic. We'll be talking about Jussie Smollett, of course. Uh, Christmas, we have a story about Christmas and Saturnalia, which you have never heard before. And we'll have an interview with the great Sebastian Gorka. You still have time to get my book, When Christmas Comes, before Christmas. Amazon says they will deliver it before Christmas, so please go on and get it now. It would be great if we could keep this thing up there on the uh, Amazon list. It would really be helpful, and it has done so well, and the publisher is so thrilled. We've got a sequel in the works. People love it. It's already got like 900 five-star reviews. Please go and get When Christmas Comes. You will love it, too. Also, go on Apple Podcasts, and you want to subscribe and leave a five-star review there as well. Please, all those five-star reviews, they really do help. People really do look at them. Go on Andrew Claven YouTube channel and subscribe to that, and you will get content that you don't get here, plus you'll get the content that you do get here. And if you ring that little bell, you'll hear a little ping, and that'll just keep going and annoy the hell out of you, probably for hours. Also, if you leave a comment... <laughs> on the YouTube channel, and it is sufficiently mean uh, and disregards all the, uh, you know, moral code of human interaction, we will read it here on the show since it will fit right in with the rest of the commentary. Now, Dono Imdano, we usually read something a little funny, but this is actually something we heard so much of we thought we should bring it up. Uh, Dono says, sorry, Andrew, had to thumb down this episode. You edited out the name of the fellow who ran that van into the Christmas parade. What happened to your courage? This had nothing to do with my courage. Uh, I, I forgot that the Daily Wire has a policy that we do not name killers, mass killers, because we feel that the Daily Wire feels that part of their motive for killing is to get publicity. So we don't want to give them the publicity. Now, I have to be honest and say I would not have made that policy, but I don't object to that policy. And so Jeremy said, you know, if you want to use the name, go since you've already done it, if you want to use the name, go ahead. But I thought, no, you know, this is the policy of the Daily Wire where I work and which I love. And I would abide by that by bleeping out the name. So it's not a question of courage at all. Uh, it is just a question of the policy of the place where I work and the place that I admire and like. You know, the other day I was in the airport. I'm always in some airport and I was in the lounge and I had to, wanted to run and get something to drink. And I left my laptop just sitting there. And as I'm walking back to it, I thought that was a dumb thing. You know, it's probably going to be fine. But what if one day I come back and the thing is gone? Well, the same thing is true whenever you use the Internet, especially if you use it without express. VPN. Every time you connect to an unencrypted network, cafes, hotels, airports, any hacker on the same network can gain access to your personal data, passwords, financial details, etc. It doesn't take much technical knowledge to hack someone. Just some cheap hardware is needed. A smart 12-year-old could do it. ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. Hackers can't steal your sensitive data. It'd take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. ExpressVPN is super easy to use. You just fire up the app and click one button to get protected. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash Clavin. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Clavin. And you can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash Clavin. I spelled express, but you're thinking, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Now, for a long time, uh, I've been telling you that Donald Trump and Joe Biden uh, marked the end of an era. They certainly marked the end of the Reagan era. 
the, uh, the ideas that Reagan had, which were brilliant ideas, may not be the ideas we need now. Things have changed. Everything has changed. The Internet has changed everything. And it has marked the end, I think, of the American century. If we don't come up with new ideas, fresh ideas to deal with this new world that we are now in with the Internet and with so much other technology, uh, we're not going to dominate the last century as we dominated the 20th century. I do believe that's possible, but it may not happen. And th- that period is over. And Changes are coming. Now, I have to admit to you, and I'm sure people who listen to the show have noticed this, that in this last couple of years, I have felt that we had entered a very dark time. And it wasn't just because of COVID. Uh, it, it was the insane overreaction to COVID, the lockdown, the uh, fascistic behavior of our governors, governors in Michigan and New York, California, the complete disregard for the hypocrisy of forcing the little people to wear masks and show vaccination cards while they themselves, while the, the leaders went around unmasked and met their friends in expensive restaurants, happened again and again and again. Uh, but And not just that, the, the specter, the awful display of our elites, our new men or politicians uh, inciting race riots over a, a vanishingly rare event, the incompetent killing of, of George Floyd. I don't believe it was racist. I just believe the cop did not act well. Uh, and just inciting these race riots, which they've been trying to do and doing repeatedly for the last, since, since Obama was president, then lying about whether the race riots were happening, then using those race riots as a way of hobbling law enforcement so that crime flared, uh, preaching the butchery of children to serve a sick and perverted uh, transgender ideology, uh, the teaching of racism to children and to, of sexual uh, abuse among the elites and teaching sexual perversion to children with a rising attempt that you can already see coming to legitimize pedophilia, uh, the tearing down of great men's statues like removing Thomas Jefferson's statue from the New York City Hall and replacing them with statues of criminals and malcontents and drug users like George Floyd, all of this, all of this was disgusting. I was talking uh, last week about C.S. Lewis's book, That Hideous Strength, which is a novel about a satanic attack on England. And right now I have felt that the shadow of a spiritual evil was passing over the country. I have no other way to say it. Um, it was really as if uh, in the this lull between two historical periods, uh, a darkness had fallen and these kind of demons had scuttered, skittled out of the woodwork to try and destroy our country. But enough about CNN. Uh, All that said, the end of something is also usually the beginning of something new. And there's no reason why it can't be something terrific. There's no reason why it can't be great, why American can't reinvent itself uh, for this new age. And I know it's not popular for conservatives to be hopeful about things. I read your emails, but it's true all the same. There's simply no reason why America cannot reinvent itself for the new age as itself, as a form of new form of itself and dominate. And I have to say that recently, my sense of things uh, has begun to lighten. I have talked to a number of people about this, and I've brought it up. Like, it's not that they brought it up, but they all agreed with me that there's a sense very recently that something has shifted in the culture, and it's shifted for the good, possibly for the good. And I have a new hope. I see a new hope that the shadow that has fallen on the country is going to pass away. And there's been a lot of, you know, if you think about it, there's been a lot of good news lately. This Jesse Smollett verdict, uh, which I I won't talk about right now. I will talk about about it in a few minutes. Um, You know, I feel that if Jesse Smollett had actually wanted to be the victim of a hate crime, he should have declared himself a conservative. However, his conviction, I think, was the right thing. He was convicted of lying about this hate attack that he made up. Uh, There's also the election in Virginia, which I think was a good thing politically because it turned a blue state red, but it was also a good thing because it was the result of uh, moms, mostly moms, but also dads rising up 
to defend their children from the hateful ideology of the left and a politician, a, a Republican politician having the common sense to get on that culture war and support the people who were fighting it. There was the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. You remember that avalanche of lies meant to cast Rittenhouse as a, a white supremacist. The jury deliberated. They came out. They looked at the facts. They came back with the right verdict. Uh, and you could almost see the demons uh, retreating back into their smoking, fiery hell pit. Uh, but enough about the New York Times. But I think the most important event, the thing, I think the event that spurred the sense that something good has happened or is happening or might happen in the culture was Dobbs uh, versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, the Mississippi law uh, restricting abortion to 15 weeks that could possibly, I know this is a long shot, I understand that, but it could possibly lead to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. That would take enormous guts on the part of the Supreme Court, especially being led by the womanish uh, John Roberts, who never wants to do anything that's going to cause any controversy. Uh, but even a semi-victory, even a semi-victory upholding the Mississippi law would move the ball in a serious way. It was clear during the arguments for this case that the pro-abortion side has no arguments. Sonia Sotomayor was basically threatening John Roberts that the country wouldn't like it, was threatening him, trying to get at his um, his cowardice and but had no arguments when she talked about the life of a child. She made no sense, whereas the other people did. Hey, you know, the YAF interviewed some of the protesters outside. It was a very telling interview. They have no arguments. Here's just a quick clip. When do you believe life begins? Um, I am not going to comment on that. Can we stop this? OK, so all the way nine months up until birth. Yep. So up until birth, nine months? I mean, it's like, I think that there are circumstances that, like, such as women's health that warrant certain situations. But for um, any reason, like elective? I feel like I don't want to get into that. Okay, but do you think that there should be elective abortion up until nine months? I, I, I don't know. Honestly, I can't envision any situation where God is not with people who are accessing abortion. <laughs> yeah, that's a lack of imagination there for you. Just try to imagine for a moment what would happen if Roe were reversed or even damaged, even suffered a strong setback that might lead to reversal immediately. Roe v. Wade, I truly believe, is the source of the anger and the divisions in our country. It stripped us of our right to make laws in our states. It settled a deep moral question by fiat, and it settled it wrongly and in a way that has been undermined by all the science since and in a way that did not reflect any widespread feeling in the country. Roe has caused so much trouble and so much evil in this country. I, look, I would never say that God is punishing us for slaughtering children in the womb, but <laughs> that's obviously what's happening. Uh, but, but the idea that this horrible law might pass away and the decision on abortion would be given back to the states. First of all, it would strengthen federalism, states' rights. Now, states' rights, the left hates states' rights because they hate the idea that some rube in Arkansas might make a law that some genius in Washington, D.C. doesn't agree with, and the genius in Washington, D.C. can't overrun that ordinary American in Arkansas. They hate that idea. Concentrated power and leftism are basically synonyms of the same thing. States' rights has been in bad odor since the Civil War when it was used to defend slavery. Now, you can sit around. I know conservatives love to sit around in rooms and theorize, well, yes, but the South had a right to secede and state rights make sense. When you attach it to slavery, slavery is so evil that it overrides all 
the theories that you might have, even if the theories are in fact correct. And that is why the left is always saying racism, racism, racism when we want our freedoms. They're saying, yeah, well, that's what they said when the Civil War, they said state rights. State rights are right, but you can't defend them using uh, slavery. However, Roe has reversed that moral equation. Now they are defending federal power. They're defending Washingtonian power for the killing of babies. That has reversed that. And that would mean that abortion law could go back to the states. And if that happened, it would create an atmosphere. That atmosphere is already being created, but would further create an atmosphere in which states might begin to define themselves, not just economically, but by their stances on abortion and other cultural issues. California has already said it's going to make turn itself into an abortion sanctuary state. Let it. Let it go to hell. Let other states can become sanctuaries for the helpless infants who have no voice, no vote, and are being killed in the womb at a level of 3,000 in America a day. People that might then begin to move to states, not just because of their economy and not just because the jobs are there, but for their culture. And the country might actually divide culturally, and it would create uh, the political version of Rod Dreher's uh, Benedictine op- option, where you can go to a certain state and live out your values, which right now the left has used Washington power to make it difficult to do. And that would mean that you could start to reinvent old-fashioned values, because you can't go back to the past, but you could reinvent uh, old-fashioned values for the new world, which is the Burkean idea that we go forward, but we go forward in keeping with our traditions. Moral federalism could be the key to the birth of a new American century, and it's not going to be easy or simple. You're going to write me your emails and tell me why it's not going to happen, but it could. And I still feel right now that this is a moment when something is shifting in that direction. The Smollett jurors, the voters in Virginia, the jurors in the Rittenhouse trial, some of the justices on the Supreme Court, hopefully a majority of them, they've all lit a little fire. They have shifted that shadow of darkness. God is not mocked. The angels were only waiting. This could be the moment of change and the beginning of that new American century that we've been waiting for and which I've been predicting. Even though things are getting better, there's still a lot of crime out there. You still want to be secure. I'm sure you all know about the Ring video doorbell, but did you know that Ring makes an award-winning alarm? Ring alarm is a powerful, affordable home security system that you can easily install yourself. I've installed Ring products. They are really easy to do. So whether you're running across town or across the country, you and your loved ones can rest easy this busy season knowing that your home is protected. It's more than just security. Ring Alarm protects your home from flood, freeze, and fire, too. Right now, for the best deals of the year on Ring Alarm, go to ring.com forward slash Claven. This holiday season, deck the halls, walls, doors, and windows with the best deals of the year on the award-winning Ring Alarm. Go to ring.com forward slash Claven to get a great deal on a Ring Alarm security kit today. That's ring.com forward slash Claven. If anyone comes to your door, no matter where you are, just look at the app and say, how do you spell Claven? And if he says K-L-A-V-A-N, there are no E's in Claven. It's probably me. Let me in. Give me a drink, please. Part of my hopefulness about this present moment comes from the obvious collapse of the left, but more than the left, this kind of kingdom of imagination that they've built up, you know, as an artist, as a guy who's worked my whole life in the arts, I have a certain way of looking at things. And I sometimes think the entire difference between good and evil is whether humans decide to live in God's creative imagination, which is the world, or they decide to live in their own imagination, which is this selfish, perverted 
kind of ugly place that actually will turn your inner life and possibly your outer life into hell on earth. And I think that, you know, that's why they want to suck us into this metaverse that they're creating. They want us to live without touching each other, without seeing each other, without uh, dealing with anything but our own imagination, instead of living in God's imagination, which is this body, this, I am a mortal man and you are a mortal woman and we are going to love one another as men and women as we were made. That is the world that God created and living in that world, you actually become more creative and more original. Now, I got to start what, talking about this, not just before with Jesse Smollett. Before I get to Smollett, I have to start talking with what I thought was the funniest moment of the week, which was Hillary Clinton was on uh, the Today Show, I think it was, and she is uh, promoting this master class. It's called How to Be Evil. I, think. I don't know what it's called, but I have no idea. And she was on the Today Show, and she read her victory speech, the speech she would have made had she won the victory. And she imagined her mother, uh, who grew up in poverty and was abandoned by her parents, and she uh, she grew up she in her speech, she talks to her mother uh, now that she is, in her imagination, president of the United States. I dream of going up to her and sitting down next to her, <laughs> taking her in my arms and saying, look at me, listen to me. You will survive. You will have a good family of your own and three children. And as hard as it might be to imagine your daughter will grow up and become the president of the United States. <laughs> now, I don't, I, you know, a woman's tears can melt me instantly. I don't want to be cruel, but oh, what the hell. <laughs> Let's, because those are the tears of a desiccated career criminal who sold out every piece of honor and self-respect for power. She stuck in a marriage that was a farce and a charade. She hoped that she was going to ride this other guy's accomplishments, and there he did have accomplishments, to the presidency, and she was humiliated in one of the greatest public humiliations in history. And now she's crying because she saw herself as a hero, but she was revealed to be what she is. And she is living in this media world that keeps telling her, yes, you are what you imagine yourself to be. But surprise, we all imagine ourselves to be heroes. But those of us who are Christians have a mirror. We have a mirror called Jesus Christ. And we think, oh, you know, I thought I was a hero. I'm actually a schmuck. But they don't have that mirror. What they have is the media telling them that that imaginary hero heroism that they're playing out is real. Which brings us to Jussie Smollett. And, you know... What, one of the things that's so sad about this is, here's, first of all, the guy's a talented guy. I, I watched the first couple of seasons of Empire, and he was a talented and charming and appealing and could sing. And I, I noticed him. I mean, I felt like, wow, that's, he's, he could be a star. It used to be that actors, who are always kind of half-assed human beings, they, they used to aggrandize themselves by playing heroes. They would go on TV and play cops and play soldiers. He wanted to play a victim. He thought that that was going to make him a hero. He prevented pretended that these two muscle-bound friends of his uh, were attacked him in Chicago, shouting, this is MAGA country. So not only were they hateful, they were also lost because they were in Chicago. And, you know, this is, so again, and this is, and all the politicians showed up, and I'm not going to go through all the tweets. I'm sure all the other hosts have shown you all the tweets about the politicians. Oh, what a terrible hate crime. What an America we live in. This America of evil, this America of racism and all this. They jumped on the bandwagon. NBC got this exclusive interview uh, with Robin Roberts is cut 17. There is no doubt in your mind what motivated this attack. 
I can only go off of their words. I mean, who says empire, this MAGA country, ties a noose around your neck and pours bleach on you? A guy you hired to do that. That's who does it. And I also want to show that the, the fact that the media gives them this world of the imagination, they also have their own world of the imagination where they think they're doing great. Here's, here's the way they talk about this. That's the first time he's given a detailed account, an account that Chicago police have said has been consistent. He hasn't changed his story. They also said it's credible. Police have said that and also that he has been very cooperative. He was very clear about the reasons why he sat down. It's been two weeks since that night in Chicago. And he, we, we talked for about an hour and there's so much more of the interview that's going to be on Nightline. You show the whole thing? Just about all of it. Yeah, we, it's the whole, whole half hour of powerful. Nightline. It really is. Very powerful. Yeah. Right, great job, Robin. Heck of a job, Robin. Heck of a job, Robin. So, you know, the cops start to realize that this hate crime against a gay black man was totally fabricated. The prosecutor tries to protect him, tries to dump the case, but gets caught uh, doing it. And they finally have to put him on trial. And the saddest part of this, I thought, was that this doofus, this guy who could have had a great career, could have been an American star. We all would have admired him. You know, he was really, like I said, a very talented guy. He takes the stand. Because he thinks that he can win the jury over. At first, I thought, why would you take the stand? Because now you're committing perjury as well. And the jury came out and they said, after they convicted him of five counts of lying about this stuff, the jury said that really ticked them off. They were really ticked off that not only did he try to get away with this hoax, but he stood there in the court under oath and lied to their faces. They were really angry about that. And he says, you know, these two brothers, these two muscle brown brothers, I, they were, you know, we didn't have a relationship where I paid them uh, to attack me. We just would go to clubs to together and masturbate together. So it was a completely wholesome relationship. But it was also this incredible entitlement. This is the thing. They don't know we see them. They think that they are so contained in this, uh, you know, meta imaginary world that they're in that we don't see them, right? They think there are no consequences. He's, when the prosecutor, Dan Webb, started to cross-examine him, the guy fights back. He starts getting snarky with the guy. At one point, Webb is reading Smollett's own texts that have the N-word in them. And Smollett says, can you spell or say the N-word out, to, out, out of respect for every African-American in this room? He's reading his own text and he thinks he's going to get away with this. The judge finally has to say to him, you know, it's not just you, Jussie. Everybody has to answer questions when they're in court. You know, it's just just amazing. But the jury returned the verdict. The jury did the same thing that they did in the Rittenhouse case. They said, look, this is a lie. You lied. Now he's up for three years in prison. I doubt he'll get that. I'm not sure he should get it. But, you know, he he has been penalized for for what he did because the jury understood the imaginary world. Spoiler alert. The imaginary world is not the real world. All right, more of that in just a second. But first, let us talk about how you lie awake at night. Some of you may actually sleep, but when do you lie awake or sleep? You want a Helix sleep mattress. Helix Sleep makes mattresses for how unique you are. We all sleep differently and some of us stay awake differently. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete, matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, hot sleeper, whether you like a plush or firm bed, with Helix there's no more confusion and no more compromising. Helix Sleep is rated the number one mattress by GQ and Wired and CNN called it the most comfortable mattress they've ever slept on. 
I, I can't say that I've slept on it, but I've lain awake on it many, many nights. It's incredibly comfortable. Helixsleep.com slash Clavin will take you to their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep or best lying awake of your life. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash Clavin. Get up to $200 off at helixsleep.com slash Clavin. Lie awake in comfort while you ask yourself the big questions like, how do you spell Clavin? I just make it look this easy. You see this in every aspect of the left. You see it everywhere. They are living already in the Facebook meta universe where all of their ideas work and they're heroes and they're not just these sad little clowns doing sad little things to try and win respect from people who can see the truth. The economy is going south, violent crime. At least 12 major U.S. cities have set historical murder records in 2021, even as three weeks remain in the year. We've got these this defund the police movement, alienating the police, just starting wars between the governors and the police, you know, the mayors and the police. So the police don't want to show up. The police don't want to get blamed if they have to kill a criminal or they have to shoot a guy. They don't want to risk their lives and not get home to their families. So they're not policing in the same aggressive way as they were before. And these George Soros prosecutors have been put in place who are going to reform criminal justice by letting people out on bail. Because the problem, you see, is not the criminals. The problem is society. They're depraved They're depraved because they're deprived. It's Officer Krupke from West Side Story. Here is Philadelphia, nation's sixth largest city, recorded 523 murders as of December 7th, surpassing its formal, former grim milestone of 500 murders, which was set in nine. 1990, the Philadelphia district attorney, this um, Soros district attorney, Larry Krasner, here's what he said, seven. Basically, we don't have a crisis of lawlessness. We don't have a crisis of crime. We don't have a crisis of violence. Who are you going to believe, George Soros or your lying eyes? Los Angeles, the murder rate, 60% jump after a 37% surge last year. That adds up to 97%. I mean, I'm an English major, but still... Soros DA George Gascon, he holds a press conference, not with people from Los Angeles, but from other George Soros type prosecutors from other places who support him. And here's what this clown says. I am proud of our entire team in the L.A. County District Attorney's Office. We cannot prosecute our way out of social inequalities, income inequalities, the unhoused, the desperation that we have. Boo-hoo. Boo-hoo. These people are killing people. They're you know, raping people. They went in and killed into the home of a woman who was, uh, you know, uh, a, a person who gave a lot of money to charity in Beverly Hills, one of the richest parts of L.A. It's actually outside of L.A. It's its own city, but still it's one of the richest parts. They went into her home and killed her, a black woman, I believe. Uh, and the, and this is the, pro- the problem is that we're just not nice enough and there's too much inequality and despair and all this stuff, which, by the way, if there are those problems, it's not his job to fix it. It's the DA's job to prosecute. See, if each person does his or her job, then things work well. But if we're all going to be full of social justice, everything is going to go to hell. So they're living in this fantasy while people are being held up, while their cities are turning to trash, and they don't know we see them. They don't know we see them. They think they could t- And, you know, <laughs> you'd think that this is like the old line from... Um, 
The man who shot Liberty Valance, uh, where the reporter says, if the legend disagrees with the facts, print the legend. Uh, this is what they do. If there's criminals, they're victims. If there's victims, they're white supremacists. If the white supremacists are black, they ain't black. Just do not, whatever you do, give up this fantasy. And you'd think that they would change. You'd think they'd start to say, you know, the audience sees us. They see us lying. The juries see us. The voters in Virginia see us. But they will not do it. The economy is in, a, in very bad shape. They there is worse inflation now than I think it's, it's for 40 years. I think this is the worst inflation in 40 years. We're back in the 70s, back in the 80s. So the White House sends people to newsrooms and says, spin the economy. Make us look good in the economy. Now, you know, our, our, incredible, our incredible journalists would never, ever, ever just bow down to the White House and start spinning the economy to make it look good. Here is, for instance, Don Lemon's hard-hitting report on gas prices that have gone up more than 50% since Biden took office and then went down five cents. Here is John Lemon reporting on that after the White House came to the newsroom and told them to spin the news. Cut 20. Big economic relief for millions of Americans who have been dealing with soaring energy prices. Cost of the pump finally easing up with the national average for a gallon of regular falling to $3.35, the lowest since October. Just look at that. <laughs> trash. They're trash. You know, nobody's watching CNN. CNN's ratings. I just saw CNN's ratings. I can't quote the number uh, because the number is so small. It won't come out of my mouth. You know, I can't I can't frame my I can't make my lips small enough to quote the number of their ratings. But nobody's watching. But they will not stop. NBC News just hired Yamish Elsindor, who was the White House correspondent for PBS. She will now be covering Washington more broadly for NBC. This is this activist, this leftist activist. She's the one at Biden's first press conference when he was president. She said, you said over and over again that immigrants shouldn't come to this country right now. That message is not being received. And instead, the perception of you that got you elected as a moral, decent man is the reason a lot of immigrants are coming. This is the person they are now going to have covering Washington at NBC. C news. You know, one last one last hit about this is uh, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. I've been watching it. You know, it's kind of repetitive because it's just one poor woman after another coming forward and saying that Ghislaine Ma- Maxwell drew her into this horrible, ugly Epstein world uh, where these girls were abused. Uh, I can't help but notice that not one name of one powerful person, except at one point somebody says they saw Donald Trump, has really come up. If I were a prosecutor, I'd want to be in the front on the front page every day with new revelations. Now, maybe Ghislaine Maxwell is going to deliver that or maybe she's got a plea deal going on behind the scenes. I don't know, but I would like to know. But the one thing about this trial that keeps striking me, these women being sucked in, abused, becoming essentially sex slaves, uh, is that you can't reverse the sexes. I mean, it's possible it could happen. But just speaking generally, very hard to imagine a woman drawing in all these young men and making them slaves. What we are seeing is the corruption of people's nature, right? Women have a nature that is more sacrificial and more loving, I think, and more giving uh, than men's nature. Men have a a desire to be in control and to rule. And when that gets corrupted, we can pretend it's not there. When it gets corrupted, it turns into Jeffrey Epstein, but it has a beautiful, godly version of it, too. So even their corruption reveals the truth. Listen. Pretty soon, these guys are going to be irrelevant. I can't help but think it. We're building the Daily Wire with your help. That's going to be a new media center. There's going to be other media centers. Pretty soon, we are going to be a train that just sees them fading away into the background. And the New York Times is going to be saying, we're going to give you a bad review. And we'll be, 
bye-bye, bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed the past because you have no future. The kingdom of the imagination cannot stand. God's creation will win. And I think that shift is coming right now. All right, I'll take you into the heart of leftist absurdity in a minute. But first, MyPillow wants to give back to our listeners. You can get great discounts on all MyPillow products if you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listeners specials. Get deep discounts on MyPillow's mattress toppers, towels, and so much more. I think they are actually discounting the slippers, which are one of my favorite MyPillow products. MyPillow is offering a buy one, get one free offer on Giza's sheets. These are top quality sheets that you will love. All MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener specials for the buy one, get one free offer on the Giza sheets and use promo code DAILYWIRE at checkout or call 800-651-1148. You'll get discounts on all MyPillow products, including pillow slippers. Yeah, they are giving discount on slippers. Get those slippers, man. They They are great. They're really the best slippers I ever owned. The MyPillow's mattress topper. Also, and MyPillow towel sets, MyPillow.com and enter Daily Wire or call 1-800-651-1148 and tell them Daily Wire sent you. That's 1-800-651-1148. The deals won't last forever, so call them now. So in a little while, I'm going to have Sebastian Gorka come on. And Sebastian, I love Sebastian Gorka. He's a great guy, but he also is a Trump loyalist, uh, but an honest man at the same time. He will talk about Trump's flaws, but he tells you why he loves Trump. And I want him to come on because in some ways... Donald Trump helped to keep the left's imaginary world alive. And he did it by his behavior and by their being able to lie about him, but spin him into this, the monster of their dreams, right? He gave more black people jobs than any president in, in history, made sure that the economy was such that it raised people up, but they called him a racist every single day. There's a guy who won NAACP awards. They called him a racist every day. Did the same thing to Giuliani when he was cleaning up New York and saving thousands of black lives. But he behaved, but but unlike Giuliani, who had in his heyday had a, a good way, a tough but good way of behaving, Trump had this kind of loose cannon thing that allowed them to cast him in this role and his behavior on January 6th was bad. I've said it before. I'm saying it again. Everybody gets angry at me, but it was bad. You condemn that kind of thing right away. You come out right out of the bat and say, get out of the Capitol. You shouldn't be doing that. He didn't do it. And and so he's helped them keep it alive. And I, I call them the Oompa Loompa left because whatever you do to them, you remember the Oompa Loompas from Charlie and the Cho- Chocolate Factory? Here, here was their little song. So no matter what you say to the left, you say your philosophy stinks, socialism is immoral, what you've done to black people is a sin that will get you sent to hell, what you've done to the black Americans is absolutely disgusting, your your charity has caused destroyed their families, uh, it's caused them to become dependent, your soft on crime attitudes mean they die by murder uh, in their hundreds and thousands. Uh, you know, now they're saying we're not going to hold them to account in terms of reading skills and, and mathematical skills, so they're not going to educate black children. Uh, it's a sin what they've done. They're the same Democratic Party that defended slavery, the same Democratic Party that formed the Ku Klux Klan and started Jim Crow. And you say all those things, they say, Trump, 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 do, you know, the January 6th, Trump said this, Trump did this, he acted like this. So he's helped them keep this world alive. And 
because of this, because they've been doing such a bad job and because they are so immoral and so corrupt and what they've done to our cities is so disgusting and what they do to our children is so sinful that it's turned them absurd. The center of this absurdity is the new Atlantic. Now, there's one thing in the Atlantic that I love, which is my sister, Caitlin Flanagan. She's a great writer. She's a terrific writer and she's in the Atlantic, but she is a holdover from the old days. The Atlantic has gone full woke in a lot of ways. And one of the ways they've gone woke is with this endless series, Wither the GOP. What has happened to the GOP? Jeffrey Goldberg, the editor of The Atlantic, he said he wrote this big piece, The Crisis in the Republican Party. It is enough to say that the Republican Party's most recent, most catastrophic turn toward authoritarianism, nativism, and conspiracism threatens the republic that it was founded to save. Our cities are trash. Our children are being taught racism. They're being taught pedophilia. But the problem is the Republican Party is discussing where to go in the future. And the Republican Party is discussing that. And I'm going to talk to Sebastian. We're going to have a back and forth about whether Trump should run and whether he's the best man for the job. But at least we're on the same page about what we want. They have this guy. Here's here's this guy is like a parable. And, and this is going to get a little personal. I don't like to attack people personally, but this time I can't help it. It's David Brook, Brooks, New York Times columnist. He's the fake conservative. He's the kind of, he was supposed to be the conservative voice in the New York Times. So he's, no, he's not really a conservative. He never was. And his whole thing, he's writing these series for the Atlantic. Oh, what happened to the Republican Party of my youth? They used to believe in Burke. They used to believe in wonderful things. They had wonderful creases in their pants. You remember this is the guy who interviewed Barack Obama when he was running for president. And he said, I was looking at his pant leg and his perfectly creased pant. And I'm thinking, A, he's going to be president. And B, he'll be a very good president. And I said at the time, why not just elect his dry cleaner? <laughs> if the crease in his pants is so great, elect the person who gave him the crease in his pants. So this is obviously a very deep political thinker, right? We'll get back to that in just a minute. But first, let me tell you about X-Chair. You know, I'm taking piano lessons. I'm now learning how to play Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. I don't think it's going to be ready for Christmas, but I still am really enjoying learning it. But I'm enjoying learning it all the more because I'm doing it on an X-Chair. Before, I was just doing it on a kitchen chair. It was hurting my back. I was feeling uncomfortable with X-Chair. I sit down and I am ready. You know, there used to be an old ad. They laugh when I sit down to play. Now I sit down to play on an X-Chair and I think, Mm, I am so comfortable. I may not do anything. And then I play like a master. Not only is X-Chair the world's greatest office chair, but with its patented LMX technology, it doubles as a massage chair and can either cool or warm your back. Now is the perfect time to purchase an X-Chair. Buy early. Buy now. Here's X-Chair's holiday gift to you. Save 100 bucks off your X-Chair just by purchasing it at xchairclaven.com now. That's the letter X, chair. Clavin.com. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairclavin.com and save xchairclavin.com. But how, you ask, how do I spell Clavin so I can get this fabulous deal? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So he's writing now, if the, if the Democrat, he says, I'm now more comfortable in the moderate wing of the Democratic Party. If its progressive wing sometimes seems to have learned nothing from the failures of government and to promote cultural stances that divide Americans, at least the party as a whole knows what year it is. In 1980, the core problem of the age was statism in the form of communism abroad and sclerotic dynamicism sapping bureaucracies at home. Don't have that problem now. In 2021, the core threat is social decay. The danger we should be most concerned with lies 
in family and community breakdown, which leaves teenagers adrift and depressed, adults addicted and isolated. It lies in poisonous levels of social distrust in deepening economic and persisting racial disparities that undermine the very goodness of America in political tribalism that makes government impossible. So let's let's think about this for a minute, okay? The, The problem we have now is social decay. We should be most concerned with lies in the family and community breakdown. Now, that has nothing to do with feminism, saying a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. That has nothing to do, which is leftism, right? That has nothing to do with the great society pouring money into black communities that essentially subsidize fatherlessness. It basically paid women to have children out of wedlock. Has nothing to do with the free sex that has been pushed upon women as this was going to make them as strong as men. Teenagers are adrift. That has nothing to do with transgender philosophy and telling them they might actually be girls. Nothing to, has nothing to do with de- deepening economic and persisting racial disparities that undermine the very goodness of America. Who is building statues to black criminals? The Democrats are. What are, what are the Republicans doing except even under Donald Trump, who they hate so much, getting him jobs? Now, here's the thing about David Brooks. I know, again, this is personal, but it really burns me up. In his 50s, right? In his 50s, he's writing a book called The Road to Character. That is what it's about. He's been married for 27 years to a woman who converted to Judaism for him, changed her name to Sarah, a more Jewish name, for him. So he's writing The Road to Character, and he's doing some research on Christian heroes with a 29-year-old researcher dumps the wife, I hardly have to tell you what happens, right, converts to Christianity and runs off with the researcher. Now, listen, so he's just an ordinary middle-aged schmuck, right? I mean, how many times have you heard these middle-aged guys who suddenly discovered that their authentic self, I must find my authentic self with my 20-year-old intern. I must find my authentic, their authentic self is a little man who lives in their underpants, who suddenly they discover is not as young as he used to be, and they think they're going to find the magic medicine. So, so far, he's just an ordinary middle-aged schmuck, all right? But here's the thing that gets me. He runs, dumps the wife, changes his religion to the little girls, the young girls religion, marries the young girl and still publishes the book, The Road to Character. That's where he loses me. That's where he loses me. It's like Hillary Clinton delivering her acceptance speech for the presidency. Thank you very much for electing the president. It's like Jesse Smollett telling me he was uh, attacked in a hate crime and actually going on the stand under oath and testifying to this obvious charade. This guy actually publishes The Road to Character and has the temerity, the amazing, amazing self-blindness to write an article saying the problem is, the problem is our social breakdown. Our families are falling apart. So long, honey. It was nice sticking with you. stuck with me for 27 years. You made my career. So long, baby. Oh, yeah. What was I saying? I was saying, oh, yeah, the problem. See, we've got to get on the road to character, the road to character, which runs right through my researcher's legs, right between her legs, and, and is going to take me to that authentic self that I've been living with. We all imagine ourselves as heroes. We all imagine ourselves as heroes. But some of us have a mirror. Right. Some of us have a mirror. And if you convert to Christianity, that mirror can shine, uh, you know, show you some really terrible things about yourself. I remember one of the hardest things about converting to Christianity was that moment when I thought, oh, wait, I get it. I'm not the Superman of my imagination. I'm not the dignified, you know, man full of integrity. 
I'm a fallen, fallen creature and I need help. That is an amazing moment. It is a liberating moment because God's forgiveness is already there. But these guys do not see themselves. So wrapped up are they. So wrapped up are they in this this television universe, this meta universe that they're now hoping to suck all of us into where they'll they'll be flying, (laughs) they'll be superheroes. They're going to be owning, you know, make-believe digital artwork. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. You'll never have to touch another person again. Your children won't need you nearby because you'll be nearby in the metaverse. None of that's going to matter. And David Brooks will be a hero and Hillary Clinton will be president and Jussie Smollett will be a victim of a hate crime. And it's all going to be absolutely great. Now, the question is, now the question is, what are we going to do to sweep these clowns and their make-believe world away? And that's what I want to talk to Sebastian Gorka about, and that will be coming right up. The amazing Sebastian Gorka is coming up next to talk about the future, the once-in-future Donald Trump. But first, let us talk about refinancing your mortgage. I mentioned last week, I think it was, that I've done this before and everybody said, you just moved into your house. How did you refinance it? It was my last house. It wasn't this one. It's a smart move for a lot of people because interest rates remain incredibly low. With the holidays around the corner, there's no better time to make greater savings happen. You just have to call American Financing, America's home for home loans. Take advantage of a free mortgage review and let a salary-based mortgage consultant tell you how you can save up to $1,000 a month. $1,000 $1,000 a month because they look at your entire financial picture, not just your mortgage, from low rates to custom terms. American Financing is the lender to trust when it comes to a mortgage refinance. You may even skip two mortgage payments, but you've got to call American Financing and you've got to do it soon. 866-886-2026. That's 866-886-2026. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing NMLS 182334, NMLSConsumerAccess.org. So we're talking about the future of the Republican Party and whether Donald Trump is that future or is he the past or is he a suggestion, the ghost of the future? And I wanted to talk to Sebastian Gorka for a lot of reasons. One, I just like talking to Sebastian Gorka. He was the uh, deputy assistant for strategy uh, for Donald Trump. He's the host of America First on Salem Radio Network and the Gorka Reality Check on Newsmax, and you can now find him on gorka.locals.com. He is not just a great guy. He is also uh, a Trump loyalist who is an honest man. So he always tells me what he thinks, but he tries, he always comes down on Trump's side. So I want to talk to him about that. And I also want to talk to him because we share, our goals are almost identical. We both love the West. We love this country. We love uh, our God, and we would like to see all of them elevated and our only question, the only difference between us is methods. So, Sebastian, great to see you. Hang on. We also like cigars. And we Come like cigars. Oh, there's so many other things. We like cigars. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do. We have so much in common, but I, I'm, I'm dubious. I'm dubious about the future of Trump. You have, bas- you have told me, and you've said this on the air, so I'm not revealing anything, that you are absolutely certain Trump is going to run and you think he'll win. Is that, is that fair? So um, I'm absolutely convinced he's going to run. The last time I saw him in Trump Tower in New York, it was clear without a shadow of a doubt. Everything he said since then publicly reinforces that. Uh, The only uh, potential fly in the ointment 
uh, Andrew, could be if we don't uh, crush the Democrats in the midterm, because there's no point him running if we don't control both the Senate and the House, because you know what's going to happen day one. You know, Nancy or whoever replaces Nancy is going to start impeachment number three, and there'll be 100 impeachments to follow. So we have to crush the Democrats in the midterms, then he is going to run. And if the local state legislatures do their due diligence in the next two years and uh, prevent as much election fraud as possible, he will stroll back into the White House because there is nobody. I, Ron DeSantis is doing great in Florida, but there is nobody. Absolutely. Even Kissinger has said this. He's not a massive Trump fan. There's nobody. Nobody since Roosevelt who can announce a rally in 24 hours time and then fill a stadium with 60,000 people. That kind of momentum uh, means that he is not only the kingmaker for conservatives, he's also the person who will be the next nominee for president. So I, I, there was just a poll in The Wall Street Journal, and this is a, a new polling system they've got, which has one of Trump's pollsters on it. And it also has one of Biden's pollsters. Seemed to me a pretty straightforward poll. It shows that Joe Biden is immense. I mean, so many people think the country is going in the wrong direction. Nobody thinks this guy is a competent president. Nobody thinks he is the president, as far as I can tell. However, when they match him up against Trump, the numbers are just about equal. And it seems to me that's a, a danger sign. I mean, it seems to me that it, there's a danger here that Trump might alienate enough people so that he's like the only person who could lose to these clowns who are now running the show. Right. So what, what's the problem with, with President Trump? I, I was uh, recently at a family wedding and um, uh, after the ceremony, we had the reception and somebody walks up to me. I hadn't met him before. He says he's a big fan of conservatives and says, hey, uh, great to meet you. Can I get a selfie? And says, sure, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, is President Trump going to run? I told him what I just told you. And he said, oh, that's a problem because I have lots of friends and, uh, you know, uh, the tweets and this is the, the easiest way to piss me off, Andrew, <laughs> because if if you're a conservative and you tell me he was mean and social media this and tweets that and look at the polls, I say I, I want to grab you by the lapels and shake some common sense into you. Really, look at the price of gas. How much does it cost you to fill up your tank of gas today? And then talk to me about tweets. Talk to me about the 13 people killed U.S. servicemen and women unnecessarily in Kabul, and then talk to me about the tweets. Talk to me about the highest inflation in 30 years, and then get back to me about the tweets. Talk to me about 100,000 Russian troops on the border of Ukraine, and then get me, you know, talk to me about the tweets. I want conservatives to get a grip and perspective. It's like Larry Elder, my Salem colleague, says. I've used this again and again and again. Two pro golfers watching somebody tee off, and, and one of them says, Wow, look at his stance. Look at the way he holds the club. And that swing, the hip movement, my gosh. The other one's not even looking at the golfer. He's sipping on his beer and he just comments, I don't care. Tell me where the ball lands. Where did the ball land for four years, America? Okay? If you're a conservative and you've got problems with mean tweets, you're not a conservative. Okay, so this is why we do these interviews long distance, because I know you're a violent human being. And you're much bigger than I. <laughs> but, but I'm a cuddly teddy bear, don't you know that? And you're the galactic master. Come on. <laughs> but I want to be precise in what I'm saying, okay? Because yeah. it's, not, it's not the mean tweets as mean tweets. It's the mean tweets as real politic. And here's, here's what I'm talking about. Trump did 
I mean, it's so easy to forget some of the great things Trump did. The fact that he wiped ISIS literally off the face of the map, a map the size yeah. of Ohio, uh, is is just completely forgotten. The fact that he brought the economy back, it was going strong, it was good for every uh, person in the economy, but best for the people at the bottom of the economy, best job numbers for black people, all of this. However, however, the his his meanness and his... I'll call it what it is, boorish behavior, his unkind behavior, hurt him politically. It it hurt him politically, both with some voters who maybe, you're right, they were being too nice, but they are, they're the voters. They get them to put in the vote. But it also hurt him in terms of statecraft, in terms of gathering uh, uh, majorities in the House and the Senate. So, for instance, when he wanted to repeal Obamacare, which I think would have been a major, major victory, John McCain basically threw him off because he had mistreated John McCain. That's bad politics. Never mind whether McCain deserved it. Never mind who McCain was. That's bad politics. And he did that a lot. I mean, almost every thing that hit him from within the Republican Party came from people whom he had mistreated. And I think that that is he was not a good statesman. He did not pass a lot of laws that we can look at and say, wow, that really changed the game. Uh, he did a lot of these executive actions, which Joe Biden insanely, but still easily uh, tossed aside. So is it possible that his attitude, let me put it to you this way. Is it possible that he was the man for the moment because he was the one guy who had these stones to say the sorts of things that he said, but that moment has passed because now he has made himself obsolete. Do you think that there's any possibility of that? Right, this is the four-hour lecture, right, Drew? <laughs> okay. Um, so, first things first, let's talk real politics. Okay. Question for you. Yeah. Who would be president today if the China virus didn't exist? Trump. Okay, so so it's not about tweets or meanness. His political vulnerability wasn't a function of, you know, McCain being an ass. It was the China virus. We can debate, you know, the the last election, but mailing out 80 million mail-out ballots is a beautiful way to steal an election. And when you've got footage, CCTV footage, after the GOP poll watchers have walked out of the building of election workers pulling suitcases of ballots from under their hiding place under the table, don't talk to me about there's no evidence. So COVID was the reason Donald Trump isn't in the second year of his second term right now. That's a fact. Secondly, let's, let's look at whether or not his boorishness really matters. Donald Trump, and it's just total facts. Donald Trump gained after four years of being called 24 hours a day a Nazi, a misogynist, a white supremacist, an agent of Russia, gained 11 million more votes than he did in the first election. Not only that, he got the highest proportion of Hispanic and black votes for a Republican president since the 60s. Oh, and by the way, if you want to believe that the senile old git got 81 million votes, you know, fine. But he also got more votes than any other president in history. So uh, Donald Trump, despite the tweets and the meanness and the boorishness, got more votes than any other incumbent president in history. So let's talk about realpolitik. Uh, on top of that, um, you talked about the fact that he, 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 uh, he mistreated others. Did he really? Give me an instance of when Donald Trump punched first. 
when without justification he said something unjustified and mean about somebody. You won't find it. In fact, as somebody who worked for him when he was plain old Mr. Trump and then in the White House, I will tell you, and this is what the left will never understand, he is one of the most compassionate and caring individuals I've ever met. Yeah, he does a mean Twitter game. And, you know, he can do the WWF uh, wrestling stuff, but he is a very compassionate individual. Just look at his first step act and look what he did for black Americans who had been incarcerated. When it comes to passing laws, why did he not pass a lot of laws? Who passes laws, Drew? Is it the president? No, but the president does wrangle Congress. Isn't that one of his jobs? Right. And, And here's the issue. Congress wasn't on his side. Mitch McConnell to this day hates Donald Trump. Paul Ryan, you know, he's he's just the senatorial version of Paul Ryan. So the idea that you blame it on him likewise isn't a reading of, of what happened under four years. But the fact that he confirmed more than 300 federal judges, that is on Donald Trump and getting Mitch McConnell to do that. So let's talk about his real successes. And then let, let's talk about it moving forward, why he has to be president. And I'm not talking about some, you know, prophetic pronouncement. The deep state is, I didn't use the phrase, we discussed this. I didn't use the phrase when I I joined the White House. After two weeks of seeing what the reality of the swamp is, I said, yeah, the deep state is real. When, When I second, when I try to second four of my former students who are now at the FBI and the CIA to come and work for me in the White House, which is a completely normal thing a deputy can do, should take about 10 days to transfer their clearances. When it doesn't happen for six months, Drew, and then somebody from the FBI, senior guy, who's a good guy, comes to my office and says, hey, hey, Seb, you know those guys you've seconded by name? You're never going to get them, despite the fact that you're a deputy to the president. And here's a direct quote, because the seventh floor, the leadership suite, the seventh floor of the Hoover building of the FBI considers this White House to be the enemy, quote unquote, the enemy. It's not just Mike Flynn. Right. So so the idea that another politician is going to come in and do what needs to be done. I want Donald Trump back in office because we need a berserker with a (laughs) flamethrower and some claymores who's going to either shut down the EPA, the Department of Education or move it to Dakota because we have a bureaucracy that thinks presidents come and go. We don't really care. And we're going to decide, not the electorate. So, you know, nobody has the potential to be that disruptive force again, not even Ron DeSantis, uh, like my former boss. So, so for all of these reasons, go so ahead. So this, this kind of raises an issue that, uh, do we still believe, because I, I do, and I, I sometimes wonder when I'm talking, do we still believe that America is there? Uh, do we believe that the American system is still there? Now, the de- everything you say about this deep state, I believe you. You don't have to sell me on this. This, this is the thing. We have so many areas of agreement that it's not, we're not, we're fighting over the, the details to some degree, but do you believe that the American system is still there? Because yeah. Trump did things. I, I don't agree with you that he was that he did not treat people in an undeservedly mean way. I think he treated Bill Barr in an undeservedly mean way. Oh, I think oh, oh. He, now, I'll, I'll tell you stories about <laughs> Bill Barr, but carry on. All right. Carry on. All right. But but the one thing he did that seemed to me unbelievably anti-real politic was 
Georgia after the election, if you want to overturn an election, you have got to prove, you cannot just say it, and you can't just say that there is proof, you have got to prove that that election was stolen, and you've got to do it in a court of law. And listen, the Supreme Court was conservative. It was not turning things down. It was not turning cases down because they hated him. It was turning cases down because I read some of those briefs. They were not suitable to overturn an election. If the left overturned elections like that, and they would, we would both hit the roof. He lost, Trump lost Georgia by pointing us back into this thing that had gone by and was passed instead of looking forward to winning the future, instead of making sure that Joe Biden would be slowed down by a majority Republican Congress. That seems to me narcissistic. I mean, all politicians are narcissistic, but you don't want to put yourself in front of the country and I want to know when you say he's got to come in with a claymore and a flamethrower, I know you're speaking metaphorically, but is it a metaphor that indicates that you don't believe that there's a system there that can be manipulated the way the American system is supposed to be manipulated? So uh, let me be clear here. The question is, you know, does America, is the America we wish to salvage still there? Is that the question? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, Ron DeSantis is a statesman. He knows how to get things done. Okay, so his... um all of those things you discussed with regards to Georgia right. has nothing to do with mean tweets. You're talking about, you know, you're, you're shifting between two things. You're, you're mixing two taxonomies. You're talking about realpolitik and, and style, and these are not the same things. No, but so I'm, only com- talking, I'm only about talking about style as it affects realpolitik. Everything okay. I'm saying is about realpolitik. Let, 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 me, let me try and separate them for a second. What he did in Georgia and what he's done since the election, and I, I tell you something, and I— I think I've said this on my radio show. When I saw him in, in New York after the election, I was sitting there and he was saying some stuff I, I, I thought was very bad about, you know, election theft and what to do about it. And I, 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 I literally, I'm sitting in front of his desk. There's only three of us in the meeting. And I said to myself, Seb, this is it. You got nothing to lose. You've been a deputy assistant to the president as an immigrant to the United States. Uh, just shoot straight. And he wasn't in a good mood because of somebody else. And I said, Mr. President, what you are talking about, you must not follow through with. Um, This idea of reinstatement, this idea of whatever. I said, there's only two groups that want you to do that. The rhinos who want you to fail and the, and the, and the, and the uh, DNC, who likewise want you to fail. They want you to go down that avenue. Now, why was he talking about that? Why was he talking the way he did about Georgia? Not because he's mean, not because of his ego. He was pissed, and he had every right to be pissed, given what happened in November. I agree, yeah. He was getting some really, really crappy, crazy psycho advice from people, sadly— Sadly, otherwise respectable individuals like uh, Professor Eastman at the Claremont Institute, who are saying, yes, you can get reinstated, Mr. President, because uh, in uh, 1782, uh, a deputy sheriff in, uh, you know, Louisiana was reinstated. I mean, people are smoking crack. Old lawyers who think that you can make a national case for a presidential countering of an electoral college. I mean, Eastman, Eastman by himself has done more damage to the conservative movement than, you know, maybe may the Democrats. So he's getting crappy advice. 
And, and that is one of our biggest problems. If we win, we've got to have a bench and we've got to have people who aren't crazies. You know, the, the, the Lynn Woods have to be excoriated, have to be completely ostracized, and we have to you know, destroy the swamp. Um, when, it, when it comes to, um, I think, and I, I, you know, I want to interview you for a second because we've had this discussion for hours now yeah. over cigars. What's the issue? Drew, is it because you think is your issue? Because I know you're not one of these shrinking violet NRO types <laughs> who think, oh, my gosh, he, well, he's not one of us and he doesn't have the bow tie. Is your issue because you think he can't win? That's yes. That's my, my fear okay. is that he can't okay. win. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and, so, so, and, and, you know, my fear is that he can't win and that he cannot wrangle Congress to pass actual laws. And I, to me, I still believe in the system enough. And you're absolutely, listen, I voted for Trump twice. I supported him. Most of his presidency <laughs> I thought was hilariously fun. And he was putting, and he changed the Republican Party for the better. There's no question about it. I give him full credit for this. I think he lost it when he, when he lost the election, for whatever reason, I think he lost track of what he was doing. And I think it, it has hurt him and maybe irremediably. And that, and that worries me. I do, I do not want to lose an election to these clowns in the White yeah. House. So, uh, again, let, let, let's just, you know, uh, try and take uh, personal proclivities and emotion out of it for a second. Uh, uh, n- number one, the threat is dire. I mean, I'm truly dire. We're a two million illegal, yep. right? So, two million illegal aliens in in eleven months. Uh, the rise of Russia, China, you name it, uh, attempts to pack the Supreme Court on. And I mean, we we you know we know this 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 is truly uh, a dire situation. On uh, as a result, we need somebody who's not a politician. And you know, God bless Ron for what he's doing in Florida, but he's a politician. Yeah, he is a politician. Okay, and a lot of what he's done is really mirroring Trump. What he's done in the last three years is really, you know, it's the mini me version of Trump. Yeah, it, 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 it's a, it's, it's, it, 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 without Trump, we wouldn't have this Ron DeSantis. Agreed. That's, I, a fact. I, I, that's why Trump okay. is the man of the so, moment. Yeah, right. And and as such, um, let's look at the playing field. There and there is nobody, nobody who can mobilize people like Donald Trump can, not even DeSantis. And you have to play with that deck. And on top of that, what do you think it's going to be like three years from now? I mean, look at what happened in Virginia. I live in the Commonwealth. Uh, I, I know Glenn Youngkin. He's been on my shows. He's a super nice guy, surrounded by swamp-dwelling rhinos who tried to prevent him coming on my show. Glenn Youngkin didn't win uh, Virginia, because of Glenn Youngkin, he pivoted in the last three weeks to a culture war statement. He saw the mama bears at the school board meetings and he said, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to ban CRT first day in office. That's why he won. He right. won because of Stacey Langton, short tail Cooper. He won because of what Andrew Breitbart has been telling us, you know, since he he wrote his book, Righteous Indignation. So uh, that that is the truth. This is a culture war to save America. And that cannot be done by a politician. I'm sorry. Donald Trump broke the rule book. Can I just remind all of your viewers? I find it amusing that an immigrant with a funny accent has to remind people born here. Do you know what happened in 2016? Americans did something they had never, ever done before in the history of the republic. From Washington to Obama, every single president was a stinking member of the swamp. They were either retired generals, congressmen, senators, or governors. Every single one 
In 2016, Americans chose a person who'd never even run for county dog catcher before, and it was the first time he ran and he won. That has changed politics forever. People have had enough with politicians. Look, look at Kamala Harris's approval ratings. Look at Biden's approval ratings. You know, they're choosing people who, from the get-go, nobody wants to vote for. They're just the easy establishment choice. So we have to continue that fight, and I don't see anybody who can do what he did. And the last point I'll make, for a 75-year-old guy, it's shocking how much of a quick learn he is. Mm. He has to be surrounded by people who have his interest at heart. And to the point of ego, of course he's got a big ego. He's Donald Trump, okay? <laughs> All right? But I, I, I tell you this right now, hand on heart, hand on heart, I swear to you, I saw this when I was alone with him in the Oval, just the two of us, which doesn't happen a lot. The only reason this man ran, and think about everything he's gone through, his wife, his children, his family, the only reason he ran is because he loves America. There's nothing false about his love for America, and he wanted every American to prosper and to be safe. Shockingly, and this is what the left will never understand, Drew, whether or not you voted for him. If you have voted for Hillary, or if you wanted to Bernie to win, doesn't matter. You're an American, he wants you to be safe. That is why he can win again. All right, I got to stop you there. I'm out of time. I hope you will come back soon after Christmas and we'll continue this conversation. Trump is lucky to have you on his side, Gorka. He really is. You're, a, you're an honest man and a, and a true loyalist. Hang on, hang on. Yeah. It's almost Christmas and I want to keep this bipartisan at the end of the show after, you know, all my railing. So I've got your Christmas gift for you. It's uh, our new T-shirt from our store. <laughs> if you're woke, you're a loser. Okay, so I'm going to keep that for our next cigar evening. I am wearing. I will wear it. <laughs> God bless. It's great to see you, Zeb. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right, we got a very interesting take on Christmas coming up, one you haven't heard before. But, you know, I've talked before about how in the old days, if a fellow needed a little bit of erotic help, uh, he would go out and kill a rhinoceros and ground the horn down, which is both illegal and dangerous. And think about that for a minute. You're with your wife. You're ready for love. You have to go, excuse me, honey, I'll be right back. (laughs) Where's my my shotgun to kill a rhinoceros. No! Go to GetRoman.com slash Clavin now. You can speak to a U.S. licensed healthcare professional about erectile dysfunction and get 15 bucks off your first month of treatment. The great stuff about treatment now is this stuff actually works. Roman Ready is confidence personified. It's the self-assurance that comes from knowing you've prepared yourself from the moment when intimacy arrives and do not have to kill a large animal. Roman's system is completely confidential, totally discreet, no big logos or labels on the packages. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, convenient, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com slash Clavin and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving your home. Go to getroman.com slash Clavin today. And if you're prescribed, you'll get 15 bucks off your first month of ED treatment. Make sure you're ready to have confidence and control this fall. Roman ready. And you do not have to kill a rhinoceros. But you do have to know how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. The Biden administration's unconstitutional vaccine mandate is not doing well in court. Not only has the OSHA mandate received a nationwide stay, the U.S. Senate has just voted 48-52 against Biden's federal mandate. However, the issue now goes to the Democrat-led House, who will likely push it through. This is why we can't leave such a contentious 
issue up to those in the highest echelons of government and have taken matters into our own hands. The Daily Wire was the first in the nation to file suit against Biden's authoritarian mandate, and there will be many, many more. Our collective voices have never been more important in the fight for our freedom. And now's your chance to add your voice to the fight. If you haven't signed our petition against Biden's vaccine mandate, Head over to dailywire.com slash do not comply to add your name. We have a goal of reaching one million signatures, which would provide a major boost to our legal challenge. We have nearly 800,000 signatures so far, but we need your help to cross the finish line. Please sign the petition at dailywire.com slash do not comply and then share our petition with all of your friends and family. Let's send a message so loud the Biden administration can't ignore us. And you should also know that Matt Walsh is now the author of a best-selling children's book that the Twitter activists are already asking Amazon to remove from their LGBTQ bestseller list. I think they did remove it from the LGBTQ bestseller list, which is a hate crime, of course, against this wonderful LGBTQ author. Uh, This is the work of bigots uh, who are trying to suppress uh, Matt. You should not stand for it. If you'd like to support him in his mission to help the LGBTQ community, head to Amazon to reserve your copy right now. It's sold out within the first 24 hours of its relief release, but you can get your hands on the next batch that's shipping out soon. Johnny the Walrus is an exhilarating tale of a young boy who pretends he's a walrus. It's all pretend until the internet tells Johnny's mother that Johnny is actually a walrus and she must uphold his trans walrus identity. If you know Matt's brain, you will laugh your butt off reading this to your kids or to yourself. Head to johnnythewalrus.com and reserve your copy of Matt's timely masterpiece, Johnny the Walrus Today. Matt is one of my favorite LGBTQ authors. All right. Enough about politics. Let's talk about Christmas. Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat and uh, there'll be a long Clevelandless period because I will be gone for both uh, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. So you want to suck up all the Clevelandly goodness you can. But we should talk about Christmas, right? We shouldn't let the season go. And I want to talk about a subject that I think is vastly misunderstood. And I I have never heard anybody quite talk about it uh, the way I'm going to talk about it now, which is the relationship between Christmas and pagan celebrations. And this is something you hear about a lot. A lot of people uh, would just kind of throw off the idea uh, that Christmas was scheduled for December because it took over from Saturnalia. You know, I'm sure you've heard the Saturnalia is an ancient Roman holiday, which was in honor of Saturn, the god of agriculture. Uh, and uh, so obviously it came at the moment when the sun turns around, when the sun stops sinking to its lowest point and then starts to turn around. And uh, it was celebrated with by giving gifts, exchanging gifts and putting greenery out there and uh, candles uh, that signified the fact that the sun was rising again. And there was a lot of revels. There were Saturnalia revels. And sometimes people would shift places, uh, social places. So slaves would sit at the head of the table and the master would c- come and serve them. Uh, and of course, uh, the, the pentatonics would put out an album. So there were a lot of similarities. Um, I may have made that last one up. But but Christians sometimes argue. So, so sometimes people say, well, Christianity just took over Saturnalia. They thought this is a popular holiday. The pagans are celebrating this. Let's tell them this is when Jesus was born and we'll just uh, take over the holiday. Now, Christians, on the other hand, argue that no, that's not it. That in the earliest days of Christianity, before any of this took place, uh, the Christian, the date of Jesus's birth was keyed into their calculation of when they thought the creation of the world was, when they thought the seven days in which God created the world was, which was March 25th, which is the vernal equinox, the beginning of spring. So nine months after that, 
Uh, he was he was conceived in keeping with the creation of the world, since this was a new creation. Uh, and nine months after that, December 25th, that was when he was born. Now, to me, it's very clear that it doesn't really matter whether Christmas was based on Saturnalia or not by identifying the creation of the world with the vernal equinox, the beginning of spring, of rebirth, uh, and by identifying Jesus' birth as coming nine months after that, the early Christians were thinking in the same way that the pagans were. They were linking God to the seasons of the earth and to the cycles of the earth, which is fine. And the question then becomes, is this a feature or is it a bug? So if there's a connection between uh, Christianity and paganism, uh, in the way we celebrate, is that a feature or is it a bug? And I always hear people arguing about this. You know, yeah, Christian Christianity, Christmas is just a, a pagan festival. And people say, no, it's not, as, as if it really mattered. And I actually don't feel it matters. I think it is actually a good thing if it is if it has taken over uh, pay, some pagan things. You know, you sometimes hear this on Twitter. Alan Dershowitz said it on the show that, that we can't believe in God because there are too many different gods. It just doesn't seem like a very good argument to me. Uh, there are lots of wrong answers to a lot of questions, but there's only one right answer. And just because, you know, there's a Tony Fauci doesn't mean there's no science. I mean, Tony Fauci may be make-believe science, but there still is science. And other gods may not be God, but they're still a god. But this kind of thinking, this kind of thinking where you were exposing Christianity by showing its similarity to other religions was very popular during the 19th century and the early 20th century, which was really the height of scientism, the, this kind of growing idea that science was a, the new form of knowledge that was replacing every other kind of knowledge. I mean, science is the way we learn about matter through experimentation, which is wonderful, obviously, but it's not doesn't replace every other form of knowledge. It can't tell me when I'm in love. It can't tell me what's right or wrong. It can't tell me a lot of things, but it can tell me great things. But this idea was now that scientism was going to run everything. And so one of the things you did was you analyzed everything, human actions, human behavior, human will, human free choice, all of that. You behaved, you analyzed all of it scientifically, right? So you had books like The Golden Bough, which is a fascinating book by Sir James George Fraser. It's an encyclopedia. It's, it's 12 volumes. I only read, I read a one volume a condensation of it, um, an abridgment of it. But it's basically a list of religious practices from around the world that kind of remind you of Christianity, a God being killed, being sacrificed, and being resurrected. And often his resurrection is connected uh, to the coming of spring. Fraser avoided controversy by making the obvious uh, comparison with Christianity. But it was clear that what he was saying is Christianity is just another one of these pagan uh, seasonal cults and doesn't have to be taken seriously. It was called syncretism. I, you know, I think it's part of the movement of syncretism, uh, which was the linking of all mythologies. If you've ever read the novel, great novel, uh, Middlemarch by George Eliot, Marianne Evans, was, her pseudonym was George Eliot. Um, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful novel. Kind of, they call it Dickens for grown-ups. In a lot of ways, that's what it is. She has a wonderful character named Kazaban. Uh, I don't. I think that's how you pronounce it. Who's an old man, a kind of old withered man, who marries a younger woman who's fooled into admiring his genius because he's writing the key to all mythologies. He's going to unlock the key to all mythologies. And uh, and later you got this from Joseph Campbell, the hero with a thousand faces. He's going to bring them all together. Uh, and he's and the Kazaban became a phrase for a kind of pompous, useless, pseudo-intellectual. Uh, and it's sl the part of the story is her slowly finding out what he is at, after admiring him so much. But it, the point of the novel, in a way, is this has become sort of a parlor game. It's become kind of a parlor game. Uh, 
you know, were Christmas trees a pagan ritual? Well, obviously, an evergreen tree in the dead of winter is going to be a symbol of hope and rebirth in wintertime, right? That the, the winter is here, as the old song goes, if, uh, if, as the Shelley poem goes, if winter comes, can spring be far behind? Um, you know, so, so evergreens are a representation of uh, hope and life in the midst of death, and Jesus' resurrection is a symbol of hope and life in the midst of our death, in the midst of human mortality. And so any December holiday and ho- any holiday rejoicing at the end of the fall of the sun and the rising of the sun is going to have greenery in it, and that's just something human beings do. It's going to be something, that, that a metaphor that works at all time. I remember uh, reading once about Santa Claus. Santa Claus was uh, based on St. Nicholas, but he also you know, morphed through the years. Uh, in Britain, they had Father Christmas, who was not based on Santa Claus. He was an adult figure, brought you know, jollity, merriment to, to Christmas. But as Santa Claus moved into Britain, they kind of united those two figures. And then there was a children's book uh, in which Santa's sleigh was pulled by a reindeer. And then, of course, the famous uh, poem, The Night Before Christmas uh, by Clement Moore. Uh, there were eight reindeers, right? So that now this has developed this myth and Coca-Cola made Santa Claus look a lot cleaner and redder than he used to be. He used to be a little bit more natural and down to earth. Um, and so, that, you know, Santa Claus has developed. But I remember reading that the, num- the reason there were eight reindeers was because Odin, the Norse god, had a horse named um, Slepner, Sleepner, and the Sleepner had eight legs. And that's where that came from. I have no idea whether that's, that's true or not. I have no reason to think that it's true. I don't believe that it's true. It's just a kind of a parlor game where you see all these connections. The human imagination is limited. Uh, it's going to, you know, have, all, there are only so many things it's going to think of, so many connections it's going to make. So it's just a bit of a parlor game doing this. The point is that our religious sensibility is a sensibility of God. And this, that, this is why the right answer, I think, to all of this comes from, of course, from C.S. Lewis, who called these, he called them these queer stories scattered all through the heathen religions about a God who dies and comes to life again and by his death has somehow given new life to men. He called these good dreams, good dreams that God gave us to prepare us for the coming of Christ. And the idea, you know, to, to be a little less literal than that, the idea is inside us, we already recognize God. We recognize what God is like. That's how we know our fathers should be just. That's how we know our mothers should be tender and nurturing because we know the feminine and masculine sides of God. We come equipped with God's image inside us in which we were made. So C.S. Lewis came to this understanding in a famous walk he took with J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, the writer of Lord of the Rings, and with a guy named Hugo, Hugo Dyson, uh, who was a lecturer at Reading University. This was on Addison's Walk. I've been to Addison's Walk. I've taken this walk, just kind of in honor of C.S. Lewis. And uh, C.S. Lewis was not a believer, and he was arguing with the Catholic J.R.R. Tolkien. And this argument went on for days, so I'm condensing it. It went on for overnight, and they were had this long argument. But Tolkien said to him, you know, mythology is not a lie any more than Jesus's parables are a lie. These are stories that show you that physical events have spiritual meanings, right? The materialists want us to think that spiritual events have physical underpinnings. So if you have, if you fall in love, it's only because of your sex drive. Uh, you know, it's not because of an actual feeling of, of spiritual connection. It's just your sex drive being spiritualized, you know. Uh, you have a moral sense. It's because you evolved to have a moral sense because of game theory or something, which was ridiculous, right? We didn't evolve an eye and then invent light. We involved an eye in order to see light. We involved, evolved a conscience in order to see right and wrong. Those things pre-existed us. 
It's a human form of light, what we see. This is not the light that God sees. It's not the morality that God sees. It's a human form, but that is what we are. We are human beings, which is why one of the reasons the left wants to erase our humanness and bring us into this metaverse is because then morality won't hold anymore that conscience that we have been given with which to see the light of morality, just like we were given eyes to see the light of day. That will now no longer be, we'll just be able to dismiss that as a kind of evolved, you know, uh, vestige, a vestigial organ. None of that makes any sense whatsoever. Obviously, we sense a supernatural realm of meaning. So on this walk, here's what C.S. Lewis said. He said, what Dyson and Tolkien showed me was this, that if I met the idea of sacrifice in a pagan story, I didn't mind it at all. That if I met the idea of a god sacrificing himself to himself, I liked that idea. I was mysteriously moved by it. And that the idea of the dying and reviving god like Adonis or Bacchus or Balder similarly moved me, provided I met it anywhere except in the Gospels. The reason was that in pagan stories, I was prepared to feel the myth as profound and suggestive of meanings beyond my grasp, even though I could not say in cold prose what the meaning was. He said, the story of Christ is simply a true myth, a myth working on us in the same way as the other myths, but with this tremendous difference that it really happened. And that's why people are resistant to the truth of Christ, because it really happened, and that holds you to account. This is not something that's happening in the metaverse, like mythology is happening in the metaverse, in the imaginary world. It is something that happened in the real world, and that means there are consequences for our relationship to it. So all of this gotcha back and forth about Christmas and paganism is very misguided. It's completely misguided. The pattern of truth is within us already. We have intimations of it. We have dreams of it. We have myths about it. Or we wouldn't know it when we saw it. We wouldn't know it was the truth that it mattered when we saw it. This is, I think it was Kant who said this, we must already have a moral sense or we wouldn't know the truth of the Gospels when we read them. This syncretism, as they call it, between myths, supports Christianity. And the fact that Christianity transforms paganism into itself is a feature, not a bug. You know, a lot of critics are always complaining about Christianity, saying that uh, it didn't ban slavery, that, that uh, you know, Paul said, slaves, obey your earthly masters uh, with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. So in other words, play out your social role. Now, this slavery was not chattel slavery like in the South. This was a, a social relationship uh, that people had. It was like you were taken care of by this family and you took care of the family in return. It was slavery. You weren't being paid, but it still was a different kind of slavery. It was a social thing. And so, so the, the Gospels and the Epistles don't tell you to rebel against the slavery. They tell you to live into your role as a Christian through your slavery. But then they say something else. They say, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, that transforms slavery ultimately out of existence. We didn't just get rid of slavery because suddenly the goodness came down. It was that idea working on us over time that transforms it. Christianity is not a revolutionary religion. It is a slow-moving uh, train to Godhead. That is what it is. It has changed us over time. And so it changes that 
Jesus doesn't say, don't stone that woman because stoning a woman is wrong. What he says is, let, let he who's without sin throw the first stone, making it impossible. This is what Christianity does. It transforms everything it touches into itself when you do it right. So if it has transformed Saturnalia into Christmas, if it has transformed the German Christmas tree uh, from a pagan symbol into a Christian symbol, that's a good thing. Even if it has transformed Odin's horse into eight tiny reindeer, if those eight tiny reindeer are somehow representative of the Christian love that Santa Claus represents, those are all good things. Those are positive things that Christmas transformed pagan ceremonies about the sun into Christian ceremonies about the sun is what we want to happen. It's what we want to happen to ourselves as well. We don't want to get rid of our sex drive. We don't want to get rid of our physical being. We don't want to get rid of suffering. We don't want to not feel pain. We don't want to live in the metaverse. We want to live in this verse, except we want to live in the metaverse of God's imagination, which is the real world. So stop worrying about it. Stop listening to people argue about it. Decorate your tree and have yourself a merry little Christmas. All right, we missed the mailbag last week, so you probably have some extra problems. Now is the time to destroy them, uh, gather around, put them in a plastic bag, tie the thing shut, throw them in the river, because it is time for the mailbag. Look at me. Listen to me. Yeah! <laughs> oh, I'm going to hell. I, I just can't help it. Uh, all right. That's, uh, I'm a terrible human being. I'm ashamed of myself. All right, from Matthew. Hello, Mr. Clavin, master of the multiverse. I have a romantic issue that has weighed heavy on my heart and I'd like your input on. I'm in my third year at college and have not dated anyone while here. This stems from my struggles with faith. That was the ultimate reason I broke up with my high school girlfriend. Our families are close friends. We did everything together while growing up. Uh, in the middle of our relationship, I began doubting whether or not God existed and I would continue to live my li- and whether I would continue to live my life out as a Christian. It's a big deal. I needed space to seek God and not seek him for her sake, for the girl's sake. Now, this was difficult for us as we still cared about each other, and we've hidden our desires to be together since then. I have not talked to her nearly all of 2021, I'm in my, and in my three-year journey, I've come to believe that God exists, uh, that left this lunacy, only makes logical sense without God, that Jesus has changed the course of history, the church is unique about that. So he now is believing with God. I'm struggling with what to do and how to live out that life of faith. Uh, Dostoevsky and C.S. Lewis have helped. It has only been a few months, and I've just started going to a church consistently for the first time. Now I catch up with my girlfriend at my parents' going away party, and while I'm catching up, the obvious care we have for one another rises up. Uh, She said she didn't know if she was waiting for something that would never happen, uh, and he's feeling like he's in a better place, but he doesn't want to burn her because he deeply loves her. Uh, He says, I'm terrified. I began wondering if my spiritual infancy is a state where I can responsibly date. Um, She is a kind woman who loves God, has career ambitions, loves people, lights up a room, is kind and compassionate, wants to be a wife and mother. What should I do and what wisdom would you impart to me? Thank you for your show. It is a weekly must-watch for me. I found Comfort Shapiro stay for Clavin to be utterly true. Ha! Huh, so what are you supposed to do? You know, Matthew, literally hundreds of thousands of people listen to this show, and every single one of them is thinking the same thing. If, you, if, you put your, if you're listening on an iPhone or a device, put your ear to the device and you'll hear them. They're saying, schmuck. Go after the girl. <laughs> Every single one of them is thinking the same thing. She lights up a room. She's a wonderful, kind woman who loves God. And you're, you're terrified because you don't know whether God exists. Okay. How can I solve this problem for you? I, I will solve it for you. God exists. Okay. I give you my personal guarantee. You don't have to worry about it anymore. And here's the other trick. God and I have one thing in common. We have only the beard. So maybe that. But other than that, we have only one thing in common. 
It doesn't matter whether you believe in us or not. We exist anyway. Okay, God exists anyway. Well, you don't really have to believe. You just have to worship him. Okay, the fact that you don't believe in him is just one of these things that happens to young people in a, in this moment, uh, especially if they they're cradle Christians. You cannot believe in him all you want. He's still going to be there. The girl is not going to be there. The girl is going to meet someone better. She says she's been dating, but she's been disappointed. That's because she loves you. You guys grew up together. Uh, there's no reason that you can't move from friendship into a loving marriage that will last forever, that you can be, uh, John Glenn had this. He was put in a in his crib with a little girl and grew up to love that woman and married her, her whole his whole life long. You know, that can happen to you. If you let this girl slip away because you're having some kind of womanish emotional, you know, hysteria over what your belief system is, you're nuts. You're nuts. You know, I mean, look, it's it may be too early to marry her. You may want to, you know, move your relationship into this new phase. But dude, dude, I mean, unless there's something else going on that you're not talking about, you know, it's like, is there some other deep thing that I'm missing? Because anybody who reads, reads this letter and I have to shorten it because it's very long, but anybody who reads this letter is going to think the same thing. That this is a wonderful girl who has been your friend since childhood. She's obviously waiting for you to come back. Go back. You know, don't be, don't be a fool. Do not be a fool. All right. Uh, from Glenn, having watched videos from all of you on Daily Wire for months now, I've come to the conclusion that you are no different than the people you cast as liars. Case in point, how many times I've heard you all talk about the alphabet gang being bad, but I, I, I'm assuming that's LGBTQ and not uh, the people who run Google. No, I'm sorry. It is the people who run Google. The alphabet gang being bad, but turn around and suggest people use those same services to purchase your items. It seems that the big organizations you all vilify so emphatically are okay as long as they sell your product. Amazon that does business in China, the same China that engages in slave labor and mass homicide you all have so often mentioned is just fine as long as your book is bought through them. I thought of all the last bastions of possible sanity and integrity. Perhaps Daily Wire was among those who still practice what they preach. Sadly, you are all as two-faced as those you criticize. Big tech is bad, but not if you can peddle your wares using them. Question mark. Disappointment doesn't really cover the spectrum of what Daily Wire hosts engage in. My lowly subscription will run out soon, so that's a good thing. Enjoy your hypocrisy and your 30 pieces of silver. All right. Um, I can't speak for the other hosts, and of course, you know, anything is bad you say about Michael Knowles is probably uh, the case, but I, I can't speak for the other hosts. But for me, I, I have to say, not plead not guilty uh, to hypocrisy. And if by 30 pieces of silver, I, I mean, I earn a salary, you know, I earn a living here, and I earn money for things that people buy on Amazon, so if that's 30 pieces of silver. However, this is not my attitude, and it's not my philosophy. If I, if I wanted to call on boy, if I called for boycotts on Amazon and then bought stuff on them and sold my stuff on them, that would be hypocrisy. But I don't. I think we have a listen. I think Jeff Bezos is a genius. I think Amazon is one of the best services in the world. I, I love Amazon, and all I want is for Amazon not to become a fascist state censoring. Books. I don't think they should allow, be allowed to do that. I think if they're going to have a virtual monopoly on the selling of books, then they have a responsibility to have all books available on that site. And when people say, well, it's a private company, it's a private company like we've never seen before. It is a private company that has no state loyalty, has no country loyalty. The, you know, Jeff Be Bezos in the, has more money 
than most countries, and I think like two-thirds of countries, uh, his workers are not treated all that well. I think he should treat them better. I think these are things that we should work on. I still believe that the system is available for us to work on that, to pass laws that will make Jeff Bezos more responsible to the First Amendment and to our free speech rights. Even though I know the First Amendment covers the government, I think the First Amendment attitude, the First Amendment atmosphere, the First Amendment values should cover everybody, especially these stateless companies that are the size of countries. I don't think Jeff Bezos should be you know, brought in front of a firing squad or Amazon should be shut down. If I did, my stuff wouldn't be on there. Like I said, I think the guy's brilliant and he has invented a wonderful thing that needs to be regulated like all human relationships are regulated. I think Google, you're right, Google has done evil things. They used their, their slogan used to be don't be evil, but somewhere they changed it to be evil because we'll make more money. You know, I think they have done evil things. They're still a, a great surge engine. I often use DuckDuckGo instead of Google because I'm so annoyed with them. I think they need to be regulated, too. I think we need to use the system. We need to play power centers off one another. Government is a power center, but these huge stateless multinational corporations with no loyalty to anybody are also power centers, and these power centers have to be used to control one another. That is the American way. That's the American system. I still believe that system can work. This is why I think uh, this is why I'm so disgusted by January 6th. I think when you charge the capital, you're essentially saying, game over. Now we're going to do things by force. I'm not there. That is not what I believe. I believe this country still works. I believe this country still can work. But we're facing new challenges. And among those new challenges, maybe chief among those new challenges, is the Internet and the vast, vast power these companies control. There is nothing hypocritical in what I say. What I say is that these companies need to be controlled. I love them. I use them. They're, they're, they've done genius things. But like everybody, they, they get power and they lose their way. It's just the way it is. That's what regulations are for. When, when the uh, world first became mechanized and there were factories, children were abused. Children were put to work early in the morning. They used to work early in the morning on our farms, but this was different. They were put into factories and they're taken away from their families and they weren't treated well. We had to pass regulations saying, you know what? Uh, we love capitalism, love your factories, love the fact that you're mass producing things that we can now afford. You can't abuse children. There's got to be a way out. You've got to pay per people a certain amount. You've got to let the unions come in because you're not doing the job yourself. I don't like unions, but I know what the world was like before unions. We needed them at that time. There's got You, you can't have a, a factory that catches fire and all the girls burn up because there's no way up. You've got to make regulations for each new thing. That's the stage we're at now with the Internet. It's not a revolution. This is part of using... It, that's a revolution, but it's part of using government to do the right thing. And these libertarians who say, no, no, it's private enterprise, we mustn't touch it, are fools. New things need new regs. Every human relationship is regulated. Every single one. I'm not being a rhino by saying we need some regulations. We don't need more regulations. We need new ones and better ones to control a new situation. Nothing hypocritical there. And I'm sorry you're letting your subscription run out because if you're not in this fight, you're losing this fight. If you're not with us, you are basically on the other side. And look, you, you don't, it doesn't have to be us. You want to go to the blaze. You want to go someplace where you feel people are more honest. or be, You won't find anybody who's better looking, but you want to go somewhere else, go ahead. But you certainly can't accuse this show of hypocrisy. I've got to end there. One more week of Clavenly goodness before the Christmas season begins. A dark, gloomy, Clavenless Christmas that will only be mildly enlightened by the birth of the Savior of the entire world and the gathering with your family. <laughs> Maybe we'll do another one of those best of Christmases to see you, best of Claven Christmases to see you through. However, I will be back next week if you survive with The Andrew Claven Show. And I am Andrew Claven.
Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and want to spread the word, give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, basically wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, remember to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Walsh Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thank you for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Lisa Bacon. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Lead audio mixer, Mike Cormina. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Hair and makeup, Cherokee Hart. Production coordinator, McKenna Waters. And our production assistant is Jacob Falash. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Matt Wall Show, Jesse Smollett has been found guilty of committing a hate crime hoax, but I think a hate crime hoax is a hate crime in itself and should be charged as such. We'll talk about that today. Speaking of hate crimes, my best-selling LGBT children's book, Johnny the Walrus, has been removed from Amazon's LGBT list. I'll have something to say about that today and a fair warning. Uh, I might get a little emotional about it because I'm pretty upset. Also, a male college swimmer is dominating female swimming. Outkick has an interview with one of his teammates, and she is uh, not happy. Plus, Simone Biles is named Athlete of the Year for quitting. We'll talk about that and so much more today on The Matt Walsh Show.